The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker and you are listening to episode 161 of the podcast or you're joining us live here on YouTube. If you guys want to catch the show live, just subscribe to MMA on the Rocks on YouTube. Set your notifications so you know when we're going live. It's always going to be sometime every Sunday. Speaking of which, today is Sunday, October 13th, episode 161 and we're coming off of UFC Fight Night. 161 from the Amelie Arena in Tampa, Florida. I was there live last night. Those of you who follow along on social media saw everything I was posting from the arena. Uh, it was a great time. Awesome fight card. But before we get into that, let me introduce my co-host all the way from New Jersey, which is starting to frost over a little bit, Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how's the soup coming along, kid? <laughs> Bill, it's it's coming. It's usually an all day thing, but uh, Bill, I love it, man. It's the it's the perfect food for this weather that we're having. Um, it's fall. It's finally starting to get chilly. People don't look at me funny for wearing shorts and a hoodie. So leave me alone. I want to wear what I want because my chest is cold, but my legs aren't. Bill, <laughs> calm down, Jeff. <laughs> we're just <laughs> we're only a minute and a half into this thing. You don't need to come at the listeners like that. Um, I I don't know if we're going to make some more friends or some more enemies today, Jeff, because I got some opinions about the fights last night. I was there live, and um, I saw things a little bit differently than uh, other people seem to on social media and things like that. I know there's a big difference when you're there live um, and watching it live, which which makes you empathize judging a little bit more. You know, it's easy to to jump on the judges, but when you're there and you're you're feeling the environment and the the crowd and everything like that, you you can't help but be influenced by it. And you're, you know, conversely, when you're watching it at home, you know, from the comfort of your own couch, uh, it's a little easier to pass judgment. And then you're hearing the commentary, which influences you as well. Uh, I always try to not listen to the commentary, um, but at the same time. I, you know, I try to look up to the guys who are doing that stuff because I am in the, the broadcasting realm. All that being said, I'm building up to something that's a little bit uncomfortable for me to talk about because uh, a teammate of mine fought on this card. I interviewed him last week. Matt, the steamroller Frivola fought Luis Pena in one of the best cards of the night. Uh, if not, uh, uh, I mean, one of the best fights of the night, if not of the year. I, I thought this fight was so back and forth uh, and everything like that. For those of you who missed it, um, there was a bonus episode this week. Uh, I went to Gracie Tampa South to interview Matt Steamarola for Vola. It was a great interview leading up to this fight uh, at Fight Night 161. Uh, he really gave a lot of great background, and I had a lot of insight into his camp leading up to this fight as well. I saw a lot of sparring. I saw a lot of inside things. All that being said, I always do my best to give the most objective opinion possible. Uh, so I'm going to continue to do that for you all. So I was sitting there watching the fight. Um, and of course, this is someone I know personally. And full disclosure, I happen to be a fan of the way Luis Pena fights as well. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I like Matt Frivola. I know him personally. Uh, I, I know what kind of heart and determination, hard work uh, he puts into these fight camps. Uh, I do not know Luis Pena personally, but at the same time, I enjoy watching his fights. So all that being said, let's get to the actual fight itself. And I want to lead with this just because uh, a lot of you probably heard the interview that I did with Matt Favola last week. Um, so we'll get to the main event and everything like that, of course. So I was watching this fight and... At the end of it, I was like, oh, shit, I don't know what to think. My heart was kind of pounding. Um, I, I thought it was an awesome fight for both guys. I thought both guys had moments where they they looked absolutely phenomenal. 
You know, Luis had some really slick submissions off of his back. Matt's wrestling looked phenomenal. Um, you know, Luis had that that uh, flying knee in the second round. Uh, he busted Matt's face up. You know, Matt had that that lead hook that he was landing basically at will. Um, it, you know, they, they both had a lot of positives that they can and should take away from this fight. Uh, after the first round, I thought that Matt dominated the first round. But in the last 40 to 45 seconds, uh, it looked like Luis was getting the better of him because of a kind of can opener variation choke that he was hitting from the bottom side control where he was trapping Matt's head and arm, um, you know, with his leg and kind of figure fouring his own legs. It's, it's hard to describe uh, unless you've actually done jujitsu before, which is why if you're a judge watching this and you don't really know what's happening, you're just seeing Matt Frivola on top and then you see him get out and you don't know that anything else has happened. It just looks like he's a little bit tired at the end of the round and he takes some shots up against the cage uh, and almost gets taken down, but I wouldn't really consider it a taken down, uh, a takedown. So he hits the two big takedowns on Pena in the first round. He kind of gets taken down at the end of the round and, and takes some shots up against the cage probably because he was so lightheaded from the choke. I've been in this choke before. It is very uncomfortable. Uh, it can cause you to pass out unconscious. It's not the type of choke that I would expect uh, someone like Matt Frivola to tap out to um, or, or any high-level jiu-jitsu competitor for that matter. Uh, if you're in a jiu-jitsu competition and you get put in this, you're probably going to either you know, wait for the guy's leg to cramp up which is a possibility. And this is a long lib, uh, long limbed, uh, grapplers move by the way, as well. So if you have a short stocky build like myself or like Jeff, the animal Wilson, do not attempt this move at your local gym. Um, Noted. <laughs> <laughs> so he was probably lightheaded and it just looked like he was tired. But, uh, if you know jujitsu, then, you know, he was probably waiting for the blood to come back into his brain so he could wake up a little bit. Uh, and if you know Matt Favoli, you know he was not tired. And that was evident in the second and third rounds. The second round was a clear victory for Pena, I thought. And even even Matt admitted that. And the third round, Matt Favola won. It all came down to how you viewed that first round. And a lot of times people and judges uh, alike, well, judges are people, most of them anyway, um, have something called a recency effect. So the last thing you see has the biggest impact on you. So if you see Matt Frivola taking shots uh, up against the cage and almost getting taken down at the end of the round, you forget that he was dominating the first four minutes and 15 seconds or so of this round. I had to go back and, and rewatch it uh, today. Uh, you know, with the commentary and everything else to come to that realization. Because when I was watching it live, everything seems kind of sped up. And when the decision was about to be announced, I was like, shit, I don't know if the judges, you know, saw that first round for Pena because of what happened at the end. Um, you know, there's a good chance uh, he could walk away with it. And it, it was a split decision. One judge did see it that way. And I did see the judges scorecards. It did come down to that first round. And two of the judges gave it a 10-9 for Fervola. Uh, which is the right call. And one of the judges um, gave it to Pena. Now, Pena, of course, was super salty at the end of this fight, stormed out of the cage, uh, didn't want to shake hands or anything like that, and, um, you know, went on a, a little social media tirade. You know, he was emotional. I, I think he had a lot of personal things going on in his life leading up to this fight, uh, and it's definitely an emotional time. So, you know, uh, all that is completely understandable. But I, I think the judges got this one right. And, and I really don't want to be biased when I say that. Uh, so hopefully I've given enough evidence. Jeff, you were watching this at home. Um, what were your thoughts when this went down? And what are your thoughts on the decision here? Yeah, so my thing was uh, it, uh, kind of what you touched base on was whether or not the judges – factored in everything that happened in the rounds or if they just remember the last things of the rounds and uh in particular round one it finished with luis pena on top uh he, he was getting a couple shots in uh, off a nice sweep from the bottom but um at the end of the second round um 
you know, we had, uh, again, Pena had uh, for full up against the cage. There was that massive knee that, uh, that, that you could see just, you know, he, he clocked for Vola, man, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better term. And, you know, in, and to me, you know, for Vola taking some deep breaths uh, in between the first and second, in, I'm sorry, in between the second and third rounds. But in that third round, you know, he came out swinging. Uh, he came out throwing heavy leather, uh, putting pressure on Pena. And I'll be honest with you, Bill, I thought that it could have gone either way. Um, but, I thought that Frivola had done enough to win the fight, so I was really hoping he won. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, they called, excuse me, they made the call, and Frivola's hand got raised. So I was really excited. This was a really exciting fight, man. And, you know, not just because Matt Frivola is a friend of the show, but for me, Bill, this was fight of the night because I, um, like I said, I could have seen it going for Pena. I felt like in the third round, Frivola had to make a comeback. Um, I felt like it was way too close. Uh, he needed to do something definitive, mm-hmm. you know, to win that fight in the third round. And I think he did. I think he dominated the third round. Um, the first round, um, I, I believe that uh, Fravola took some hard shots and got dropped at one point. You know, he, he landed on his butt. But, you know, if I was also thinking if the judges take that into account, I don't know if if they'll give it to Fravola uh, because mm-hmm. of those little things that happened in, in between, uh, you know, Fravola's wrestling and everything. But great fight, and I'm glad that uh, the decision went the way it did. Yeah, so am I. Uh, you know, big congratulations and a big shout out to the steamroller Matt Fravola. Uh, I know how much hard work he's put into uh, this fight camp and, and leading up to this. So some well deserved. Uh, time off and uh and in all honesty even though he just fought uh a teammate and a and a friend of the show i'm looking forward to luis pena's next fight man um uh, i think uh you know maybe that saltiness put put a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and we're gonna see we're gonna see a violent bob ross uh set on fire in his next performance uh you, you know we could dive really deep into this fight and break it down move by move uh i was i was really impressed with the kimura trap system that bob ross was using um to defend against the takedowns but you know frivola rolled right through all of them and wound up on top in every every one of those scrambles uh even though uh that was a lot of pressure on the shoulder you know kimura is a, a nasty shoulder lock and um you know it didn't stop him from going for the takedowns either uh, so even even getting put in those nasty situations uh, didn't make him hesitate at all uh, and that's why he's a warrior uh, so credit to both of these lightweights for putting on a fucking show for the Tampa crowd. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing both of them fight again, even if it's uh, both of them fighting each other. You know, if it, if people think it was really that close, which it was, it was definitely a close fight, yeah. then uh, maybe let's run it back. Um, they didn't get that fight of the night uh, bonus, unfortunately. It would have gotten my vote as well. But uh, again, uh, that may be some of my bias speaking there. Uh, the fight of the night did go to Cub Swanson and Crone Gracie in the co-main event. But before we get to that, I want to talk about uh, these women strawweights who who really put on a show as well. And I I kind of thought watching this fight live that maybe this one would have won fight of the night. And then I was really surprised to see um, how people said it was such a blowout for Joanna. Um, I, I definitely think she won four out of five rounds, but I... I feel like every round was kind of close. You know, Michelle had her spots where she was looking good. She got Ioana's back a couple of times and, and Ioana tried to play it off like it was no big deal. But, um, you know, being there live and experiencing this, uh, you know, people were definitely reacting a lot bigger to what Michelle was doing than to what Ioana was doing. And credit to Ioana and Jacek because I noticed – uh, somewhere in the fourth round that her foot was definitely broken. And she said she broke it towards the end of the second round uh, going into the third. Um, and, and she was moving on it just fine. She was limping back to her corner a little bit, but uh, you know, for someone who had a broken foot, you know, she was still throwing it right at Michelle Waterson. Uh, she was proving to everybody who was doubting her, you know, that she can still make this straw weight uh, weight limit. Mm-hmm. And, and also showing that, she still has, you know, some championship moves uh, left in her. I think uh, a lot of people were kind of writing her off after her last couple of fights, but 
I think they were just matchups that were stylistically bad for her. And, um, you know, she, she's right back in the mix because the person who beat her for the title is kind of out of the running right now. And we got a new champ and, and, uh, the landscape's looking completely different at straw weight. Give me your thoughts on this main event, Jeff. Bill, I, I have a little bit of a different opinion. I think that the reason the crowd was reacting to what Michelle Waterson was doing was because it wasn't happening very often. Joanna mm. um, and Jacek, man, especially early on, she was piecing Michelle Waterson up. Uh, there were a lot of leg kicks, which, um, Bill, I'm a fan of leg kicks. I think that they are a long-term investment, and that's the type of fight that Joanna fights is a five-round fight. She's not going to try and knock you out. She's mm-hmm. gonna she's gonna overload you with her pace and her output. Mm-hmm. And you know those uh, those leg kicks. Um, you know, they, they start paying off in those later rounds when, uh, when your opponent starts to shoot in on you a little less and is, is not, you know, wanting to fight out with their lead leg. So they switch stances, all that stuff. I feel like it's so intricate and that's why, that's what I love about leg kicks. Um, and yeah, dude, I, I noticed, uh, Joanna's, uh, foot too. It was swelled up. I think I noticed it between rounds three and four. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it swelled up and they had ice on it. As soon as the ice uh, came off, it was just this mass. So I, you know, I assumed it was broken. Um, and you, same deal, dude. Credit to Ioana and JJX. Still being able to, to keep that pace going for five rounds. And Bill, I think what impressed me the most, um, I, you know, Michelle Watterson was very impressive. She, she, you know, she was never out of the fight, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, there were even, uh, in rounds, I think it was four and five that when she took the back, it, you know, she was attacking, she was going for the rear naked choke, mm-hmm. but I was impressed with Joanna's physical strength. I don't think Michelle Watterson thought that, Joanna and Jacek would be as strong as she was because Yen Jacek was able to press uh, Watterson up against the cage, even went to take Watterson down, was on top of her for a little bit, Bill, and um, just able to reverse positions whenever they clinched up. It, mm-hmm. it was Joanna getting the better of the clinches. And I think, um, I think that that aspect was something that Watterson wasn't prepared for. Um, you know, that's obviously something that you can't put on a list of statistics. So, you know, definitely just such an interesting fight, man. I definitely want to mm-hmm. go back and watch this one, uh, even though I already saw it. it. It was just such a good fight uh, from both ends. You know, Watterson was never out of that fight, and she was upset at the end when they interviewed her. I think she had nothing to be upset about. I don't think her stock goes down at all. Yeah. Um, you know, she she's a warrior. She was never out of that fight. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's more what I mean that that it was I don't mean that it was close, but I mean that um, you know, Michelle Waterson had her spots, but I don't ever feel like she was in danger of getting finished at any yeah. at any point. You know, she was definitely getting outpointed by the former champ. And um, it, you know, she looked good. She put up she put up more of a fight than it seemed like, you know, I, when I was seeing the reaction on social media, people were like, well, you want to blew her out of the water. I didn't see it that way. I saw it as she was in there the whole time. And she had her spots where she looked good. Um, you know, she kept it competitive. I didn't see it as like a total one-sided blowout. Like, um, like I did Thomas Gifford and Mike Davis, which we'll get to a little bit later on. Let's get into the co-main event here, Jeff, uh, which I, I just saw some disturbing commentary that chrome gracie thought he won this fight and um that that's really unsettling i hope it's not true that he said that um because i i thought he handled the loss really well you know he shook hands with cub he left the octagon he shook hands with every single person on the way out he took pictures with people Uh, i thought he looked really humble in defeat there um so i i hope it's not true that he said those things but uh cub swanson after the first round, I, I could argue that maybe Crone won that first round uh, just because Cub was really tentative and backing up a lot. Uh, and then when he realized that Crone wasn't going for a takedown and he had a metronome-like approach to his striking where he was coming in like somebody just learning like square dancing or something where he, he was almost like counting his steps in his head like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, mm. four. And then once Cub picked up on that rhythm, and realized that it was staying consistent, 
Cub just started piecing him up for the whole rest of the fight. And a couple of times, Crone tried to pull guard, didn't really attempt a takedown. Cub just kind of shrugged him off. Uh, there was one time where he got inside his guard. He tried to pass Crone's guard immediately, which is a bold move. Uh, and, and then when he realized that that was a waste of time, he just got back up and started piecing him up again. Uh, I thought it was great uh, boxing display by Cub Swanson. I thought it was a great strategy. He even started letting some kicks go towards the end of the second and third rounds. Uh, so he was very aware of the timing in there. And I think it just showed his overall MMA experience advantage over Crone Gracie here. Um, and, and I think Crone was maybe rushed into uh, a co-main event against, you know, a, a top competition, especially someone as experienced as, as Cub Swanson, whom the, the UFC was probably expecting to get submitted in the first round. But, uh, you know, Crone didn't even really resort to his jujitsu, which we know is top shelf, top in the world. Um, but one thing I know about Gracie's from knowing some of them uh, personally and, and having had interactions with them and, and watching them fight uh, since 1993, they're stubborn, Jeff. Um, it, they, they just are. So if Crone has it in his head that he's going to go in there and outstrike Cub Swanson, then he's going to stick to that game plan and run it into the ground, whether it's working or not. And he's not going to lean on the, the, the amazing tools he has in his toolbox. Um, you know, even if it means losing the fight, he's going to stick to what he went in there to do. And, and that's basically what happened uh, in my opinion. Uh, give me your thoughts on this co-main event, Jeff. Yeah, but I don't disagree with you on that. And I think that Cub Swanson had fought such a great fight, man. He was so cerebral about his approach. And mm -hmm. uh, like you said, man, Cron Gracie was getting lit up like a Christmas tree, dude. <laughs> um, you know, his, his face was, you know, making a great mitt for um, Cub Swanson's hands. <laughs> and, um, and dude, I think he might have some brain damage if he thinks he won this fight, man, because it, I mean, you know, he didn't, uh, he, uh, like you said, man, he was kind of like, um, Bill, did you ever play those, uh, what are those things called? Those robots that like, they stand still. And if you like push a button, they'll like throw a punch like that. Did you ever do, <laughs> did you ever see those when you were a kid? Oh, like the um, Rock'em Sock'em yeah, robots? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what they're called, the Rock'em Sock'em robots. <laughs> that was Cron Gracie. He, very, he would, like, turn – oh, and also, he was super flat-footed, dude. I, I, Oh, my God, I couldn't stand it. But, um, yeah, he was really flat-footed in that first round. Cub Swanson was dancing around him, and um, I loved what Cub Swanson was doing. He was tearing at – uh, Crone Gracie's body, man. At the end of that second round, Bill, I don't know if you noticed this, but Crone Gracie was taking massive breaths as mm -hmm. he was walking back to his corner. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it was kind of like um, like when uh, Stipe beat uh, Daniel Cormier in that third or fourth round where he was just the same spot right by the triangle of mm -hmm. uh, uh, right by the diaphragm. Every single uppercut uh, or uh, Hook was just hitting um, Cron Gracie in the same spot. And, you know, it was affecting him. It was slowing down. And um, I was actually impressed with Cub Swanson on the ground, too. Um, when he was trying to pass the guard, he did this thing that I that I like to do myself, is before he, before Cron Gracie had a chance to close up his guard, Cub Swanson lifted his leg so that his knee would be there so that Cron Gracie couldn't completely close the guard around him. And it mm -hmm. almost worked out for him. Uh, but I think he just realized that uh, – Cub Swanson, I mean, I think he just realized that he was having more success beating this dude up on the feet. So really, really good fight from both of these guys. And I think you're right. I think Cron Gracie, I think it was a little too soon to throw to throw him into the frying pan here. Yeah, and I think that's probably his own doing because I've heard interviews with him and he said he's only looking for, you know, to test himself against top competition. So you can't fault him for that. Uh, he did it and uh, he did not succeed, uh, you know, unless you count all the punches that he blocked with his face, uh, <laughs> which <laughs> which was a lot. Uh, I want to move on for the, for the sake of time because um, – we're about 25 minutes in. We only covered three fights here. So I, I want to get to uh, Nico Price welcoming James Vick to the uh, welterweight division with a nasty upkick. This is probably the worst upkick 
knockout I've ever seen. Nico Price knocks out his second opponent in the UFC from the bottom, which is just fucking absurd if you think yeah. about it. Um, this guy is dangerous from everywhere. You cannot take a break on this guy no matter where you are. If you take him down, you are still in trouble. Um, if you drop him and you get on top, you are still in trouble. Uh, this is a dangerous man because he's very unorthodox. He throws strikes from weird angles. Uh, I I watched the replay several times. They kept showing it in the arena. And, man, I could not figure out how he got the angle uh, on this heel across James Vick's jaw. It was phenomenal. And, of course, the place is going crazy because Nico Price from Cape Coral, Florida, about uh, two hours south of Tampa, so he had a big cheering section that was right near the cage, and and I was sitting uh, pretty close to them. Uh, so there was a lot of energy for Nico in the arena. Give me your uh, reaction to this fight, Jeff. Dude, um, Bill, you were there live, so maybe you didn't hear this, but go back and watch the video because the sound of Nico Price's heel going into James Vick's jaw is fucking sickening. Bill, I've it was just a loud click. Like, oh my god, it was horrifying. You you need you need to go back and watch this video, Bill, um, because I I don't think the mics were I, I don't think you could have heard it with all the noise of the arena, but the mics picked it up. And my first assumption was, I think he just shattered James Vick's jaw. It, it was oh man, it, but dude, I don't even know. His his hips were not in this equation, Bill. So I don't know where he generated the power for this. I guess when he was swinging his leg back, maybe. But man, uh, what do you say about Nico Price, man? This guy has no fear, Bill. What mm -hmm. do you do to a man who has no fear? I, I don't know. <clears throat> you gotta uh, you gotta either put his lights out or you know otherwise. I, I would put him in a category with like a Justin Gaethje. Yeah. Where, you know, this guy is going to keep fighting even when he's unconscious. Uh, he's just one of those dudes, man, who, who, like you said, he's fearless and um, he's super unorthodox and he's dangerous from everywhere. I mean, he's a problem in this welterweight division. Uh, as for James Vick, you know, he, he had a bunch of bad knockouts, probably too many at lightweight before deciding to move up to welterweight. You know, I was campaigning personally for him to move up to welterweight before he even fought Justin Gaethje. Um, uh, who, who buttered up his chin a little bit and then uh, Dan Hooker as well. And then he made that move and man, now he's probably got a broken jaw. Uh, you got to feel bad for the guy uh, just for the pain that he, he went through last night and that he's probably in today. I know a lot of people are not fans of James Vick because of his affiliation with his coach, Lloyd Irvin, who, you know, if you guys don't know the backstory on that, uh, I'm just going to tell you to go ahead and, and Google it. And um, so James Vick's coach, Lloyd Irvin, uh, was involved in, you know, some not so moral things. And, you know, go ahead and look into that on your own and come to your own conclusion on that. Uh, so because Vick kind of stood up for his coach and, um, you know, sympathized with his actions a little bit, which is, you know, very sketchy. Uh, a lot of people dislike him within the MMA community, understandably so, if you know the backstory there. Um, but, man, he just got his jaw cracked in half uh, by somebody's heel. Um, so, you know, uh, as a human being, you got to have at least a, a little sympathy there. But, um, I mean, I didn't even check today to see how he was doing, so. You can kind of you can kind of gauge where where I stand on the whole situation. Uh, moving on, um, Mackenzie Dern, man, the first time she made weight in the UFC comes four months after giving birth to her child, which is an accomplishment in, in and of itself. You have to credit this woman for stepping in there. I mean, I thought Michelle Waterson was superhuman getting in there and fighting 10 months after having her first child, four months after giving birth, Jeff, four months after my kid was born, I didn't want to get off my couch and I wasn't even the one that had the baby. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't bear that child for nine months. I didn't go through labor. Um, I was just kind of there like going out at midnight and buying snacks. 
like that, that was not a big deal for me. I was not ready for any kind of competition four months after that happened. Um, so credit to Mackenzie Dern for getting in there, but, um, man, she needs to work on that striking. It's, uh, when she was shadow boxing, like walking to the cage, I was like, Oh man, somebody tell her to stop. It's, <laughs> I, I, and I, I say this with all due respect, because I credit her for even getting in there and going the distance with a savage like Amanda Hibas, um, who, who is definitely deserving of the win here. And, and, you know, she even had some ground exchanges with Mackenzie Dern, which is not where you want to be with a, a world champion Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. But, um, man, yeah, let's tighten up the boxing or let, let's change the game plan and get, get the fight to the ground uh, where she has a distinct advantage over most people. Uh, I would, sh I shudder to think what would happen if she got in there with like Joanna or, or Michelle Watterson or, or Rose at this point. Um, I, I feel like the girls she's been in there with so far have just been so tentative because of the ground game that, that they haven't really engaged and taken advantage of, of her kind of rudimentary striking. Um, but yeah, uh, again, I can't stress enough four months after having a kid and getting in a, getting in a cage and your underpants is, is quite an accomplishment. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. Yeah, Bill, you know how, you know, you know how I feel about moms, Bill. I have nothing but respect for them. Uh, I think it's the toughest job in the world, and you don't even get paid for it. So um, there's that, man. And then after the process of pushing a human being out of her body, which sounds very painful, mm -hmm. She after four months, she gets into a cage to fight somebody. Bill, I have nothing but respect for Mackenzie Dern. Mm -hmm. Um, and she made weight, yeah, so respect on that too. And, um, dude, you know, um, you know, credit to her, but you're right, Bill, she needs to work on the boxing. And for the love of God, I wish she would just put her chin down after <laughs> the exchanges. Her mm -hmm. chin, she was looking at the lights after the exchanges, Bill. That's how up in the air her chin was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, you know, I don't think Mackenzie Dern loses stock. Um, you know, I see she's still really, really young in this game of MMA and UFC. So, you know, uh, sky's the limit for her right now. You know, she has time to work on all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, especially coming off a loss, which I think is actually good for her because now she can, you know, take a lower-profile fight, maybe a prelim fight, uh take maybe nine or 10 months and just work on striking and, and uh, closing the distance for some takedowns. Um, and, and yeah, she'll, she'll definitely be in good shape. She's still young. And um, I, I would personally like to see her at 125 as well. I think she yeah. can compete there. Um, you know, maybe not with the champ, but you know, below Valentina, there, there's not a whole lot going on at 125. So I think she could have a more comfortable cut there and I think she would do well. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick, intermission to uh tell you that today's episode is brought to you by a few distillers now they're not a sponsor of the show but you know they're bringing some of these opinions out of me because this is what i'm drinking right now mm -hmm. few bourbon whiskey and uh, it's a bourbon that's on the lighter side believe it or not it comes out of chicago and um i i've talked about this on the show before i may have introduced you to it jeff at some point it, it's similar to Blanton's in taste. Uh, it's a it's a lighter bourbon. It's it's kind of sweet, uh, easy drinking because it's kind of hot out today. So uh, it's a nice sipper for me for me today. I, I discovered this bourbon when I was up in Chicago uh, during the time that Conor McGregor was fighting Floyd Mayweather. Uh, I was up there for a, a work a work thing like a conference, and um, I saw at the hotel I was staying at they had a chicago bourbon on the menu and it was kind of pricey and i was like all right i gotta try it so i got got myself a little sifter and i brought it back up to my hotel room to watch connor and floyd and i was like man this is really fucking good i gotta find it so i found it um back here in florida like total wine or something and you know it was pretty pricey for a bottle and then i i went through it pretty quick and i recently found it at an abc liquor store uh, for much cheaper and it was on sale. 
um, it was like 35 bucks for the bottle. You, normally, it's like closer to 50. Um, so if you find a bottle of this stuff uh, for under 40 bucks, definitely snatch one up and uh, and add it to your collection if you're a bourbon drinker. Um, good stuff, 93 proof. So uh, it's it's uh, making the opinions flow out of me today, Jeff. Even though. I'm a little on the exhausted side, as I was telling you, because I was at the uh, fight night in Tampa last night. I didn't even get to go to any after parties or anything. I went home, but still didn't get to bed till about 2 a.m. Uh, I was up a little before 6 with the kid, and then uh, I had some I had some errands to run today. I didn't get home until just before we started recording. So not that I'm looking for any sympathy, but uh, if I see if I seem a little lackluster out there, uh, you guys will understand, especially if you have kids. Let's get back into this card. Another split decision. Eric Anders and Gerald Mershart. Um, I know you and I saw this one a little bit differently, Jeff. Um, and and in, this is another one where I really want to try not to let my uh, bias get in the way because I do know Gerald. And, uh, well, I'm, well, yeah, he's your dad. <laughs> yeah <laughs> as seen in the pictures <laughs> yeah. look like a middle schooler next to this guy i know he's enormous he's built at only six foot one and um oh. i felt like a child standing next to him <laughs> uh for those of you who didn't see it uh go check out the mma on the rock social media uh twitter i think it was i put the picture of me standing next to him uh even though it was not very flattering for myself uh and then i i juxtaposed it with a picture of super Mario eating the mushroom. <laughs> you know, we're both bearded white guys. So he, he looks like a, a taller, more handsome version of myself. <laughs> in any case, Jeff, I saw Eric Anders kind of gassing after the first round, uh, in the second and third, he got dropped a couple of times. I thought the strategy from Mershart was a little unusual because he was trying to straight box with Anders, which is probably where Anders has the advantage. He wasn't throwing a whole lot of uh, body kicks and leg kicks, even though when he was, he was having success with them. And he wasn't really going for the takedowns. Maybe he didn't want to waste his energy because he knows Anders has great takedown defense and he's super athletic. Um, so even though I questioned the strategy, I gave two and three to Mershart. I, I did not go back and rewatch this one. Um, but at the end of this, I was kind of feeling like it was super close. Uh, but but Mershart should have... Mer uh, sorry, Mershart should have gotten the nod. Um, I know you saw it differently, Jeff. Give me your give me your thoughts here. Yeah, I felt that it actually went for Andrews, uh, but same deal. I was in the same boat. Uh, it could I honestly, this one was tight. It could have gone either way, but I I felt that Andrews was doing more to control the cage. I felt like he was uh, producing a little bit more output, moving forward a little bit more. So mm -hmm. all those things factored in. I, I just felt like Eric Andrews. Did enough to win. I uh, definitely gave the first round to him. The second round definitely for Mearshart. And then that third round was a little bit of a toss-up. Mm -hmm. uh, but I felt like Anders uh, started off a little bit better in that round and was fighting better for more time in that round, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Um, and then towards the end, Mearshart kind of regained control a little bit. But I just felt like Anders did enough to kind of grind out a win here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I did notice, um, you know, somewhere in that third round that Anders started to pick up on the fact that Mershar was overextending on that left straight uh, and he was starting to time it a little bit and he was landing some good shots off of that. Um, I, I don't think he picked up on it enough to like really capitalize on it, because if he had, you know, he definitely has the power to, to knock out anybody uh, at middleweight. Uh, especially since moving back down from light heavyweight. Uh, Ryan Spann looked amazing against Devin Clark with a, a really nice guillotine in the second round there. Uh, thoughts on Superman's performance there, Jeff? Yeah, I thought that um, Ryan Spann's fight was crazy, dude. Um, he actually looked a whole weight class bigger than uh, Devin Clark here, but mm -hmm. then I saw Devin Clark's thighs, and they're like – they're. <laughs> Bigger than your head, Bill. They're yeah. massive. Honestly, you could probably feed three people with just one of his thighs. Um, That's a little dark, but <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying he's got really big thighs. He we went like from 
<laughs> we went from bourbon to cannibalism here. <laughs> but all right, I'm on board with it. But anyway, um, yeah, I would have liked to see him just throw some leg kicks, man. Uh, I probably could have gotten a lot of power behind him, but mm -hmm. Ryan Spann was just very aggressive with his style. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could see Devin Clark was was wearing down. He was breaking, uh, and in that second round, <clears throat> um, in the first round, he went for the guillotine too, but it was off Devin Clark, you know, shooting in on him. Mm -hmm. In the second round, Ryan Spann was beating him up against the cage, and he looked for the guillotine. Mm -hmm. So uh, you just you knew, man. He just broke Devin Clark in that fight. Uh, definitely a really really fun fight. Very very aggressive, very oppressive style from Ryan Spann. I dig it, Bill. Yeah, man. It was it was a lot of fun. Fun fight for sure. I tell you who didn't have fun last night. That's Thomas Gifford uh, against Mike Davis, who who got the knockout victory with 15 seconds left to the third round. Um, man, this was rough to watch, Jeff, because the first and second round, Gifford took a beating. And it, at first, when he got dropped, like he had some like slick guard recovery techniques from the bottom, and like it, it looks like he has some good jujitsu. These are two guys who are both uh, 0-1 in the UFC going at it, and Mike Davis took this fight on four days' notice, moved up a weight class. Uh, I was there for live also for his UFC debut in Fort Lauderdale. He was submitted by Gilbert Burns. Mm -hmm. So he, you know, so much credit to Mike Davis. Four days' notice, moves up a weight class, and then beats the fuck out of this kid. I mean, it was a battering for two straight rounds. And I don't know how Thomas Gifford's corner let him get off the stool in that third round. And after they did, I don't know how the referee, Andrew Glenn, didn't stop this at some point. Um, I, I think it was th that all parties involved really did a disservice to Thomas Gifford. Uh, I don't think he should have been face-planted like he was. I think a TKO is fine or throwing in the towel is fine. Um, I think tapping out to strikes is fine. Uh, I'm a big fan of this sport. I'm a big fan of knockouts, but, um, you know, when they're just unnecessary like that, that's not something I enjoy watching when you're seeing a guy who clearly has no fight left in him, who doesn't have much means to defend himself. That's not entertaining for me. I don't like to see that. I would like to see the referee kind of step in and keep the guy safe in there and make a call. And I know it's a tough call and I know it's a tough call for the corner, but you got to let your fighter live to fight another day. And luckily Thomas Gifford is feeling okay today. His CTE uh, scan came back um, with, with pretty good results, but you know, why would you want to wait to find that out? Um, you know, when, when you clearly were down in this fight, especially after that second round, give me your thoughts, Jeff. Yeah, I'm with you 100%, Bill. I think that, you know, as a referee, it's your job to protect the fighters. And as a cornerman, that's that's part of the job description too, man. And I think that would uh, Gifford have been pissed off at his corner if they threw him the towel? Absolutely, yes, because mm -hmm. he's a warrior. And I think that everybody who does is a warrior. But you know what, Bill? I think that the, uh, the cornerman needs to be like, listen, you don't have to like me right now. But you're not taking any more damage. It's enough. Um, I, I think we're just going to call it. You mm -hmm. know, uh, we can, you can, you'll get over it. But you know, permanent damage, you know, that's going to stay with you. So, I, I think the corner, you know, I think they dropped the ball here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was vicious. And I don't want to take away from Mike Davis's performance, which was flawless, especially yeah. coming off the bench on four days' notice. You know, a local guy trains in Florida. Um, you know, he was available. The, this fight got bumped off the main card. I, I forget who Gifford was even supposed to fight at this point um, because so much has happened between then and now. But Mike Davis, man, uh, you know, this is another lesson in always be ready. You know, I was talking about my teammate Dan Martinez a couple of weeks ago who stepped up and got an opportunity to go to ADCC uh, on like two days notice. And he was prepared and he got in there and, and did his thing and he didn't get the result he wanted, but you know, he got in there and did it. He took advantage of an opportunity and that's what Mike Davis did. So credit to him for taking advantage of that. And um, I mean, it can't feel good. Like just, just beating on a defenseless carcass, basically. Like it was, it was pretty bad. Like Gifford took almost as bad of a beating as BJ Penn's career. 
Oh, uh, man. <laughs> so you're just calling my jokes dark, Bill? Jeez. Jeez I didn't say he was going to eat anybody. <laughs> Bill, why don't you just send him a postcard? And I'm starting to, to wonder. <laughs> Starting Jesus. to wonder what's in that soup, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Davison Figueredo uh, with a guillotine choke over Tim Elliott in the first round. Tim Elliott rocking like uh, the ultra bright mullet for some reason. Um, I don't know why he did that, but uh, Figueredo holding the guillotine a little bit too long. Uh, you know, the referee Kevin McDonald tried to break it up and he, he held it, but then he immediately apologized. I think he was just in the moment. I don't think there was any, um, you know, malintention there. Uh, Marlon Vera getting a performance of the night along with uh, Nico Price for his uh, third round TKO of Andre Yule. Uh, and, you know, I, I kind of saw this fight going this way and I call, I turned around to my buddy and I said, um, you know, Vera's going to finish him in the third round. I just, I just saw it happening because you will just kind of broke somewhere in that second round. And he came out kind of glassy eyed in the third and just looked like he didn't want to be in there anymore. And, uh, Marlon Vera just so experienced, you know, this is another case tonight of, of experiencing, uh, triumphing over, you know, uh, a very motivated up and comer. And you is used to getting people out of there in the first round. And, and when things don't go his way, you know, m much in the style of like a, uh, Kevin Lee, once things don't go his way, then he kind of checks out a little bit. And that's what kind of happened there. Super talented fighter, though, in Andre Yule, but uh, experience prevailed there. And then um, Miguel Baeza getting the TKO basically from the leg kick that dropped Hector Aldana on the prelims. Uh, leg kicks were, were really adding up for Aldana, and then he finally dropped him with one, and Aldana shelled up. The referee, at that point, the fight should have been over because it was like the third time he, he was dropped from leg kicks um, and he shelled up and Baeza went in and, and landed some shots and he was just he was just punching a guy who was already out of the fight. Um, and the ref should have stepped in a little bit earlier there. Uh, and uh, Marvin Vittori, uh, unanimous decision over Andrew Sanchez and J.J. Aldrich, unanimous decision over Laura Mueller in the curtain jerker last night. Um, uh, I just threw a, four fights at you, Jeff. What sticks out to you the most, my friend? Bill, this uh, Marlon Vera versus Andrew Ewell, that was one of the fights I was really excited for. Unfortunately, I didn't get to watch it live, but I am going to go back and watch that one. Uh, that, I think that's a really, really good fight uh, in the Bantamweight division. Unfortunately, uh, I didn't get to tune in in time. Um, but, Bill, what would you think overall about this card? Uh, it, it seemed to have a little bit of everything. We had finishes. We had some controversy. We had some mm -hmm. fights that you and I didn't agree on, which I'm always for. Um, but what do you think overall? Did you have a good time? Yeah, man. I, I had an awesome time. You know, it's always fun to to get to see the fights live and, you know, hang out with some good people, have some drinks. And, you know, just the energy and the production value at, at a UFC event is is really unparalleled. You know, I, I go to a bunch of the the local circuit shows and, and things like that. And really nothing compares to it. So if you guys have never been to a live UFC event, um, you have to do it. I, I mean, the, the, the production value is really something to marvel at. Uh, you know, if you think about all the work that goes into it, um, you, you know, from the broadcasters to the, the cameramen to, you know, the timing, um, the, the guys in the production booth that you never see or hear from, uh, who pick all the camera angles and cut up the, the replays. Uh, it, it's really awesome. Uh, so it, it's a, a spectacle that everybody should witness at least once if you're a fan of the sport. Uh, and if you are not a fan of the sport, I don't know why you're listening to this show. Uh, <laughs> so being that you are listening to this show, I'm going to assume you're a fan. And if you haven't seen a live show, you have to do it. I will be at another live show next weekend. Jeff, bare knuckle fighting championship eight also in tampa florida i will be credentialed media at this event jeff believe it or not um somebody had enough faith in me to give me a press pass let me go talk <laughs> to these guys that are gonna go punch each other in the face with no gloves on uh i went to the last bare knuckle fc that was in tampa and it you know it's a good time my teammate david mundell was on the card. He will be on it as well. 
this weekend. So here's another event that I, I have to go and cover for media purposes. And I have to try to be as unbiased as possible, um, which is difficult, but you know, I manage with a, a lot of professionalism and a lot of whiskey. Uh, the, the headliner of this card, Antonio Bigfoot Silva and Gabriel Gonzaga, two, oh. names, <laughs> two names you may remember uh, if you're a longtime <laughs> fan of the UFC. Uh, these are two big, strong heavyweights, and somebody's going to sleep probably in the first minute of this main event. I think it'll be super exciting. We got a lot of uh, a lot of fun fights on this card. Uh, follow along on my social media at MMA on the Rocks, Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. I'll, I'll be posting all the all the coverage and and everything else. Um, somebody else who was just signed by BKFC, you may have heard of him, Jeff. The axe murderer Vanderlei Silva. Uh, he he's not fighting on this card, but he will be making an appearance. Uh, he may be having an interview on this show. Uh, we'll find out uh, in a week's time. Uh, I'm going to be attending probably a press conference sometime this week. I know you guys are used to uh, the once a week podcast, but stay tuned uh, midweek because I'm going to be putting out some some more content for the bare knuckle stuff. Uh, any thoughts on all of this, Jeff? But I'm excited for you, man. It sounds like an awesome, awesome opportunity. Uh, hopefully, we can get Vanderlei Silva on the show. I'm a, I, I enjoy watching his fights. I enjoy, you know, this is gonna sound a little sick, but you know, you've made it this far into the show, so I'm over it. Um, <laughs> I enjoy watching him hurt people, Bill, because he's so creative about it. He's a blood mm -hmm. artist. Mm -hmm. Is what he is. Yeah, man, Vanderlei. Uh, you know. One of the all-time greats. If you want to watch some exciting fights, his fights in Pride with Dan Henderson, with Rampage Jackson, with Mirko Krokop. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. This guy got in there with anybody and everybody. Um, and, man, did he know how to put on a show. Uh, so I'm looking forward for the opportunity to potentially meet him and maybe ask him a couple of questions uh this coming saturday so saturday october 19th uh 9 p.m eastern is when the the main card kicks off uh, available on pay-per-view i believe bareknuckle.tv is the website so go check that out i'll be there if you're gonna be there reach out to me on social media send me a message let me know and uh you know we'll have a drink or something i, I don't know if i'm supposed to drink in the press area or not but that's never stopped. I'm sure it's fine. That's never stopped me before, Jeff. Uh, it's kind of my stick here. So if they're if they're not going to allow that, they may as well not allow me. Uh, let's get on to uh, real quick. I want to talk about UFC on ESPN number six from Boston, Massachusetts, coming up next Saturday as well, October 9th, October eighteenth. Um, the TD Garden in Boston, headlined by a New Yorker, Chris Weidman. Uh, making his debut at 205 pounds against the undefeated Dominic Reyes. Uh, <laughs> I'm of the opinion that Dominic, you know, maybe got away with a, a decision in his last fight, but uh, nonetheless, on paper, he is undefeated, and he'll be getting in there with the All-American Chris Weidman. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. Bill, um, actually, I think this one's going to be on a Friday night. Um I don't know yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, I didn't. I, that's why I almost said the 19th. Yeah, this one is on a Friday, huh? That's weird. Yeah, it's. Uh, I actually wanted to try and go out to Boston and see this one because I've never been to Boston before, but uh, it's not going to work out with work. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Dominic Reyes versus Chris Weidman. I'm excited for this one, Bill. I want Chris Weidman to get a win here because Lord knows he needs it. Um <laughs> He's a great fighter, don't get me wrong, and he's he's been in there with some tough dudes in his last couple of fights. But I'd like to see him get his name back in the win column. I'm a fan of Chris Weidman. Um, you know, just the fact that he, you know, never backed down from Anderson Silva, where many in an era where many people were very tentative, very scared to fight Anderson Silva. Chris Weidman said, Forget all that, I'm knocking this dude out. And yeah. And then he went on a Brazilian legends killing tour where, <laughs> where he defended his belt against Vitor Belfort, um, Leoto, the dragon Machida. Um, so, you know, it, it's easy to forget 
how good Chris Weidman is based on his last few fights. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I in soccer, Bill, we have this saying where the saying goes, form is temporary, but class is permanent. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's in bad form, but he's got the skills to get out of it. And I really want that for him on Friday. Um, but overall, this card looks really good, Bill. What do you think? Yeah, man. Uh, a lot of great points about the All-American Chris Weidman. He doesn't back down. That's why he comes out to I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty every time he fights. Um, <laughs> very fitting. I think he's very much in the same boat as as Joanna. You know, she had a rough skid for a little bit after losing the title. And, um, you know, people started to forget what a killer she was. I think people really forget what a killer Chris Weidman is. And, you know, maybe some of the issues he had with with getting knocked out late in fights that he was winning, by the way. You know, the fights with Array, the fights with Yoel, uh, he was dominating those fights until, um, you know, some some poorly timed uh, strike absorption in the third rounds there. Uh, overall, this fight is great. We're going to get the rematch of Jeremy Stevens and Yair Rodriguez. Uh, which ended unfortunately a couple of weeks ago in a no contest due to an eye scrape, which we determined was worse than an eye poke. Um, so that's fun. We unfortunately lost the uh, Calvin Cater versus uh, Magomed Sharipov. Um, it that that one's been rescheduled for Russia, which you know kind of uh, weird circumstances there because uh, Magomed Sharipov said, "Yeah, I, I'm." Got to pull out of Boston, but I'll be good in Russia like a few weeks later. <laughs> um, that sounds like he's on steroids to me, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Or he didn't want to fight Calvin Cater in his hometown, which I, I can't blame him for. You know, Calvin Cater's uh, a monster. Uh, we got Macy Barber and Jillian Robertson. That should be a fun one. Joe Lozon making a, a long awaited return to the octagon. One of my favorite all time fighters to watch. Um, you know, over like 40 fights for this guy and never been a boring one. I think he's had 42 fights and he's had like negative seven boring fights. <laughs> I think that's an actual statistic. Uh, I've never seen a Joe Lozon fight that I, that I didn't love. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, we got some local guys, Kyle Bokniak fighting against uh, the undefeated Sean Woodson court McGee on this card against the undefeated Sean Brady. Um, what else he's spotting on here, Jeff, we got a I'm lot actually, of unde- undefeated fighters on here. Yeah. I'm actually really liking this Macy Barber versus Jillian Robertson fight. That should be a really exciting fight. Mm-hmm. Um, women's flyweight Macy Barber on a little bit of a tear in this uh in this division but so is jillian robertson she's been making a splash ever since uh her time in uh the ultimate fighter um so this is gonna be this is gonna be really good bill i'm excited for this one yeah man Uh, we got um we got some uh some friends in the comments here we got tomaso mark and we got uh vladimir Kraft. so mark uh came late to the show but he's happy about cub winning and he's excited for the Boston card. So my uh, Vladimir thinks that Chris will most likely win. Can't disagree with that. And uh, he hopes that Yair will lose because he was very disrespectful after blaming Jeremy for uh, the no contest a couple of weeks ago. Can't disagree with that either, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. they're pretty spot on in the live yeah, chat dude. this week. Yeah, dude. Jeremy Stevens is a warrior first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that disappointed me, man. And I, I understand Yari's pissed, but one, it's his fault. And two, <laughs> you know, Jeremy Stevens, is, he's the real deal, man. And I think he's going to find that out on Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that there's going to be a lot of bad blood going into this one. Uh, I, I don't know how it's going to go. You know, both of these guys had training camps at altitude, uh, down in Mexico, uh, you know, which, which affect affects your, your red blood cells and everything like that. And all, all kinds of biology, but you know, warriors like Jeremy Stevens, don't worry about shit like that. He's just like, tell me when and where, and don't poke me in the eye and you got yourself a fight. Yep. Um, and I think that's fair. I think that's, um, I, I don't think that's uh, too high of a demand in any case, 
Anything else you want to get off your chest this week, Jeff? That's all I got for you, Bill. All right. Well, for Jeff the Animal Wilson, if you want to follow him on the social media, it's at Animal underscore Wilson on Instagram and Twitter. So please do so. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the Rocks. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, MMAontherocks.com. You can send me an email, MMAontherocks at gmail.com. Follow along. I'll be covering Bare Knuckle uh, Fighting Championship Saturday, October 19th from the Florida State Fairgrounds in Tampa, Florida next week. So follow that journey on social media. Stay tuned for some extra content between now and then. Uh, we'll have a lot of fun stuff, and then we'll be talking about uh, the Boston card next week as well. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>